Hello, and welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. And I wanted to let everybody know right now, at the end of this episode, I'm going to be giving you my personal reactions to the events of this week, which involves uh, Naomi and Sasha Banks, which happened on Monday Night Raw, and kind of... More information came out as the week would go through, but as the show goes on, uh, let me get on with the show. Uh, Raw will open up with basically what happened. Uh, They show the highlight packages of last week. They go through their usual uh, song and dance of showing the video packages and all that kind of crap. And they mention how at the beginning of the show, uh, it was supposed to be in the main event of the night, it was supposed to be a six-woman matchup of Dewdrop, Nikki A.S.H., Becky Lynch, Asuka, Naomi, and Sasha Banks, and the winner of that match will be going against Bianca Belair at Hell in a Cell, and they announced um, that Naomi and Sasha Banks have walked out of Raw, so they had to switch the matchup, so in the main event, you will get Becky Lynch going against Asuka for the number one contendership to face Bianca at Hell in a Cell. That's what they started Raw off with, that announcement. But the first match of the night was a steel cage match with Omos with MVP in his corner going against Bobby Lashley. And before the match began, you saw Omos get to the ring and he gets inside the cage. And now they're waiting for Bobby to come down. Bobby does his entrance. And as he's midway from the entrance ramp, Cedric Alexander runs up behind Bobby and attacks him. And then you see Omos get out of the ring, beats up on uh, Lashley, so now you see that Cedric is kind of affiliated with MVP and Omos. Lashley's able to hold his own. He gets into the ring. He calls for Omos to get in the ring. Omos gets in there. They shut the door. So now the cage match officially begins. Bobby would win the match when Omos had Lashley on his shoulders, and he bashed Lashley's body on one side of the cage, and then he went to the other side of the cage and bashed him on that opposite side of the cage, and this time when he does this, Lashley's body would break that cage uh, posting that he hit, and Lashley's body would hit the cage, land on the uh, outside of the ring, and Lashley would then lay right there as MVP and Omos is looking perplexing, like this is bizarre to them that the cage w- would break on him. Lashley would get up, and he would put both of his feet on the ground, and the referee would call for the bell declaring Bobby Lashley the winner. So Lashley wins this, and this feud is not done because they announced that next week on Raw, we would get the almighty challenge of Lashley throwing out a challenge to Omos. I don't know what it is, but we'll have to see next week on Raw. After this, we would get Theory going against Mustafa Ali. That's what we were supposed to get. Theory comes down, and he tells Ali that this is going to be a special guest referee matchup with The Miz being the ref. So The Miz comes out with his referee shirt and everything. So we all know that the fix is in. Then, as The Miz asks Ali, is he ready? Ali says he's ready. He asks Theory, he ready? Theory tells Miz that he's not ready and that, you know what? He has another surprise for Ali and that he won't be facing him. Instead, he will be facing Veer Mahan. So, we get a special guest referee match of Veer Mahan, who has Theory in his corner, going against Mustafa Ali. Veer will win the match by submission when Ali would finally get some momentum towards the end of the matchup, and he's has Veer on the outside of the ring, and he's looking to hit some type of move uh, to the outside, and he was about to jump on Veer, but Miz would get in the way and start counting Veer out, start making the count. Ali would get upset at Miz and start 
telling the Miz that he's trying to screw him over every chance that he get. Miz would pie face uh, Ali and start telling him that I'm the referee. Ali will look like he's about to close the line or hit the Miz, but instead Ali will get hit by a clothesline by Veer, and then Veer will lock in the clavicle lock, and Ali will tap out. After the match, you see Theory get in the ring and tell Veer to lock in the submission one more time so he can get a couple selfies. Veer obliges, and he locks in the move. So you see Veer take selfies with both Veer Mahan and the Miz, as Veer has the submission lock on Ali. Veer would then let go of Ali, and then he stops, and he just looks at the commentary table, and Ali is laid out on the mat. You see Theory and Miz, like, cheer for Veer to tell him, yeah, go ahead, do it. Go to the outside and put him on the table and lock it in. So Veer goes outside in the ring. He clears off the commentary table, and that's when you hear the Mysterio's music hit, and now it is the return of Ray and Dominic Mysterio. These two men have had... Uh, issues with Veer since Veer debuted the night after WrestleMania took out both Rey Mysterio and Dominic. And now you see Dominic and Rey coming down to the rescue of Ali. You see them take care of Veer Mahan. They beat him up on the outside of the ring and Veer happens to run away. So Rey and Dominic are back on Raw and now you see that they're going to continue their beef with Veer Mahan. And also I hope Ali does win his a United States Championship matchup when he does get it with Theory because this man has been going through some stuff so far for the last, what, two to three weeks that he's been back on Raw. And I don't know if this is Vince's way of trying to test Ali to see if he's willing to stake it out and, like, whatever the case may be. I don't know what it is. I just know that Ali better win the United States title from Theory because if this doesn't, I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to hold you. I'm just not going to like it. After this, we would get Riddle going against Jimmy Uso, who had Jay Uso in his corner, and Riddle wouldn't win the match by pinfall after the ref decided to throw Jay out of the ringside because Jay would try to put his feet on Jimmy's back and give Jimmy more leverage to pin Riddle towards the end of the matchup, but the referee would catch Jay doing this. He'll tell Jay to go to the back. Jimmy would get upset by this, and then he would let go, and then he would go back to Riddle, but Riddle would then get Jimmy Uso inside an inside cradle pin for the windfall. So now Riddle and RK-Bro has uh, momentum going into their tag team unification matchup on SmackDown against the Usos. After this, we would get AJ Styles and Finn Balor with Liv Morgan in their corner going against Los Lotharios, who are Humberto and Angel. Finn and AJ wouldn't win the match by pinfall when AJ would hit Angel with the phenomenal forearm as Finn Balor would hit Humberto with a coup de grace, and Finn would cover Humberto for the win. The funny thing about this is that after the matchup, you saw Finn and AJ throw up the two sweet, Liv threw it up too, so now they're technically a group because all three of these members have had problems with Judgment Day for these past couple of weeks. And before the match even began, you had a backstage promo of Judgment Day, and the main focus of this was that Edge was still stating that he's throwing out the olive branch to AJ to say, hey, Come and join us. I know we've been putting the beat down on you, but you have so much potential to give to Judgment Day. You have so much to give because you're a veteran and all this type of thing, and we could use you in Judgment Day. So he throws that all the branch to the table. AJ isn't feeling it, and you see AJ and Finn Balor talking to Liv before their match begins to give uh, to try to get Liv to come down to the ring with them. And you see in the back, you see purple lighting somewhere in the background now the whole theory for this is that purple lighting was in the background when Rhea Ripley was 
uh, after she got done turning on Liv, you saw the purple lighting somewhere in the background when that happened. And you saw Edge and uh, Priest have conversations months ago, so that kind of tied that in. The purple lighting ties in Rhea Ripley. And the theory is, the conspiracy theory is that if you see purple lighting somewhere around a backstage area, that kind of gives hint that they might be joining Judgment Day. And the thing going around is that Finn Balor might join Judgment Day because Finn is going to be feeling disrespected that they picked AJ over him. And that's kind of been Finn Balor's whole career on WWE, the main roster. Finn has been uh, pushed aside and not utilized here and there. So you can see where you can see where they're going to go with Finn with this. So if Finn does turn on AJ, I can see it now. I am fully, fully on board with that whole theory of that happening. But if not, it just was a theory. After this, we had Alexa Bliss going against Sonya Deville, and this was a rematch from last week. Alexa would win the match by pinfall when Alexa would hit Sonya with the right hand to the mouth, and then a DDT for the win. This match went on longer than last week's. Last week only lasted about, what, 20, 30 seconds, or even a minute tops, because this was a surprise for Alexa to be back on Raw last week, so that's the reason why she got the win. This week, Sonya Deville was prepared, and they had a good seven, eight-minute matchup, and it was fine. So this is telling you that they're trying to give Sonya Deville a more wrestler role back, get her back into the wrestling atmosphere, and get her back into the ring much more. So I'm cool with that happening. After the match, you see Sonya Deville get in the face of the referee and argue with him because he did not count whenever she hit Alexa with the spine buster because Sonya Deville tried to cheat and untie one of the turnbuckles. So the referee was kind of distracted tying the turnbuckle back on whenever that happened. So then you see Sonya Deville and the referee talk back and forth. Sonya will slap the referee in the face and then leave the ring. And the commentators did say that Sonya Deville is going to have to face some type of a fine for this because she is no longer an official. That does not get elaborated on on Monday night. They'll probably do it next week on Monday. We'll have to see. But only thing that we know is that Sonya Deville is going to be facing some type of fine. Maybe. After this, we get a Cody Rhodes in-ring promo. Cody mentions that last week he tried to move forward from his rivalry with Seth, but Seth couldn't let that go. So this had Cody mention how Seth last week talked about that Cody would never take anything away from him. So Cody then had to reminisce how Seth's career has been different from his career since Seth came into the WWE in 2012. And here is the audio from that. 2012, Seth Rollins shows up to WWE, shielded up. And I would remember, I was one of the bitter boys in the locker room. Within months, he had won tag team gold. Within a few years, he had climbed the metaphorical and very real ladder in our sport. He had won the WWE Championship. He had shattered the glass ceiling. And for skeptics like myself, he had proved there was a glass ceiling in the first place. Seth Rollins won his way to the top. Now that's Cody talking about Seth's career. Now this is Cody talking about his career for 2012 to him basically leaving. My story is a little different. I, I didn't win. No, I didn't win that much till recently. Actually, I lost. I scratched. I clawed. I painted my face with a smile, dead inside, looking up at the lights most nights. But the thing is, I endured. You learn so much from loss. You learn how to live, how to love, how to adapt. 
how to reinvent yourself. The difference between a revolutionary interview and actual revolutionary actions. And the number one thing that I learned, I'm never gonna be the American dream. So why not embrace the nightmare? So ultimately, it would get down to the point where Cody would then say that he wants to challenge Seth Rollins to a Hell in a Cell match at the next pay-per-view or premium live event Hell in a Cell. You would then hear Seth's laugh and you see Seth pop up on the screen and this was Seth's reply to that challenge. You already know my answer. I am going to exploit every one of your insecurities and I am going to expose you for the fraud that you are. Rollins versus Rhodes 3. I accept. Well, <laughs> I guess there's nothing left to say other than I'll see you in hell. So we got that match that everybody kind of knew where we were going with. A Hell in a Cell match between Seth and Cody. And I'm saying this right now. I hope that Seth Rollins comes out in Stardust gear. I do. I hope he comes out with the face paint, the whole thing, because you heard what he said. He wants to exploit Cody's insecurities and all that type of stuff. And you heard Cody said that he couldn't be the American dream. He Why not embrace the nightmare? Cody has often said out loud that, yo, he wasn't happy in his last time being in WWE, being the Stardust character. He had to do it just to put up with it. But then he left and now he's back being his own man. So, if Seth comes out being the Stardust character, the whole nine yards, I mean the face paint, the gloves, the gear, the whole thing, the same way that he did with the uh, Shield gear earlier this year at the Royal Rumble with Roman Reigns by playing mind games with him, he'll be able to play mind games with Cody at that point. And people might say, no, that's not going to happen. Just hear me out here. Cody has said in press conferences, that, yo, he doesn't want... He's made it in his thing when he talked to whoever he talked to in WWE before he got back that he doesn't want no... Uh, no mentioning of Stardust, but think about it. WrestleMania in his first match that he had back, he did the whole cartwheel Stardust pose. Last week in his match with Austin Theory, Austin Theory did the cartwheel Stardust pose as a mocking thing. So Cody has some, I believe, some uh, picking choosings of when he can say yes or no to somebody doing the whole Stardust thing. And I think with this rivalry and with Seth's, he what Seth said about exploiting Cody's insecurities. I think this would be the perfect opportunity for uh, Seth to do that. And Cody to say, yeah, okay, we'll do that for this, this for this purpose, because it fits the story of what we're trying to tell. So that's what I'm hoping for. Just personally out of that uh, hell in the sub match, that alone would just make me extremely happy. After this, we would get Ezekiel going against Chad Gable, who had Otis in this corner. Kevin Owens was on commentary for this. Ezekiel will win the match by pinfall when he will reverse a pinning maneuver from Chad Gable. There's nothing really to say to this. This is still a continuation on Kevin Owens trying to get the one-up on Ezekiel and claim that he's Elias. That's all we were here for. After this, we would get a Lacey Evans in-ring promo. Lacey Evans is on Raw, and she's been doing her, telling her whole life story and discontinued here. She came out. She thanked the war veterans in the arena because she is also a veteran herself. She thanks the fans for giving her a warm welcome on Raw and being on Raw. She mentions how she wants to show her girls that she, they can do anything and they can take, they have what it takes to make it in whatever they want to do. And she finished off by saying that she might not be better than any of the female superstars in the back, but she knows they're not nowhere better than her. So 
You can tell that Lacey Evans is going to be on Raw and be competing in the ring. I don't know when. It has never been announced. We just know that Lacey Evans is now on Monday Night Raw. Now it's time for the main event, the number one contenders matchup for the Raw Women's Championship. Becky Lynch going against Asuka, and Bianca Belair was at uh, commentary for this matchup. She wasn't on commentary. She was just at ringside. That's what I meant to say. Asuka would win the match by pinfall when Becky tried to cheat in the match. When Becky went outside the ring, she had Asuka outside the ring, and she threw Asuka into Bianca Belair. Becky would then throw Asuka back into the ring, and then you see Bianca get on the ring apron because she's upset. This would distract the referee. Becky would grab Asuka's bamboo umbrella and try to hit Asuka with it, but Asuka would spray green mist into Becky's face, then hit her with a roundhouse kick to the head, then pin her. So now we have another match at Hell in a Cell for the Raw Women's Championship. Asuka going against Bianca Belair. I have a feeling that Becky's going to weasel her way into that matchup and make it a triple threat match because we still have some time until the Hell in a Cell uh, event. But that was your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now it's time for NXT. NXT opens up with a tag team matchup of Cameron Grimes and Trick Williams going against Solo Sokoa and the North American champion Cameron Grimes. Solo Sokoa and Grimes would win the match when Solo was on the top turnbuckle looking to hit a big body splash on Melo. Trick Williams would get in the ring, but Grimes would stop him and hit the cave-in on Trick, which is a double stomp to the chest of his opponent. That's the cave-in. Then Solo would jump off, hit Mello with the big body splash for the win. After the match, you see the ref try to give Grimes the North American Championship, but Solo would grab it from the ref. Solo would hold it for a couple seconds, look at the Grimes, and hand it over to Grimes. Grimes would get the North American Championship from Solo and look at him. Solo tells him that he got next. Grimes holds up the North American Championship in front of Solo's face. So that tells you that we're going to get Solo going against Grimes somewhere down the line. But Grimes has to beat Carmelo Hayes first because Carmelo will get his shot and will get his shot at the next uh, premium live event for NXT, which is on June the 4th and is called In Your House. After this, we will have the NXT Breakout Tournament quarterfinals. Lash Legend going against Tatum Paxley. Lash Legend would win the match by pinfall when Lash would hit the pump kick on Paxley, then cover her for the win. So now Lash has advanced to the semifinals. We don't know who Lash will be going against until later in the night when the next semifinal matchup would happen. After this, we will have Braun Breaker coming out for an in-ring promo. Braun is out here to reply to Joe Gacy's offer to join him in his revolution to change NXT. Braun tells Joe that he could kiss his bum. Braun says that you should have finished him when he had him in the field. Now Braun is going to beat Joe Gacy unconscious. Joe Gacy will start calling for Braun. Braun will look around and he sees Joe Gacy perched on the exact same stage that Joe Gacy pushed him off a month ago. Braun will tell Gacy to get in the ring so they can finish this Gacy will let Braun know that he isn't going to get in the ring because Braun has a bit of a temper and that he's always had a bit of a temper. And that temper is going to get him in trouble because they're going to raise the stakes in their next matchup that they have. And Gacy lets Braun know that if Braun loses his temper, he will lose the most important thing that he values, which is the NXT Championship. Gacy lets Braun know that in their matchup, if Braun gets disqualified, he will lose the NXT Championship. Braun agrees to this match, and this match will happen at the In Your House Premium Live event on June 4th. After this, we will have the tag team rematch of the Viking Raiders going against the Kree Brothers, who has Damian Kemp and Roger Strong in his corner. Viking Raiders will win the match by pinfall when Damian Kemp will get on the ring apron to distract the referee. 
and this will allow Roddy to try to get in the ring and hit Ivar with a jumping knee, but Julius would catch Roddy in midair and throw Roderick to the outside of the ring. Julius would tell Roderick that they don't need him, and then as soon as Julius turns around, he gets hit with a spinning heel kick, and then the Viking Rage will lift him up and hit him with a, a assisted high power bomb for the win. After the match, all members of Diamond Mine will get in the ring, and you will see them argue. The Kree brothers are arguing with Roderick Strong. You see Damian Kemp try to calm both sides down, telling them that we're a group. We need to keep calm. Later in the night, you will see the Diamond Mine again arguing in their locker room, and you see Roddy tell the Kree brothers that they need to listen to him, and that if they listen to him, they will get their win against Pretty Deadly at In Your House to become the new NXT Tag Team Champions. But if they don't, they have no chance of winning. The Creeds walk away from Roddy and because they ain't trying to hear him. Roddy tells Kemp to go with the Creed and have them watch tape. Kemp goes, and Roddy is standing there by himself. Then you see Pretty Deadly walk up to Roderick and taunt him. They say that Roderick is a former two-time Tag Team Champion, but he can't seem to teach the Creed brothers on how to win. Roddy would then lay out the challenge to Pretty Deadly that next week it will be Roger Strong and Damian Kemp going against them. Pretty Deadly accepts the challenge, so we have our first match for next week announced. After this, we will have Grayson Waller going against Andre Chase with Bodie Hayward in his corner. Grayson Waller would win the match by pinfall when Andre Chase would backdrop Waller to the outside of the ring and Waller lands on Bodie Hayward. Andre would go to the outside of the ring, throw Waller back in the ring, and then he starts checking on Bodie to see if he's okay. Bodie tells Andre that he needs to get back in the ring to finish off Waller. Andre does this, however, once he gets back in the ring, he gets hit with a rolling stunner by Waller. Waller covers Andre for the win, so Andre wins the match. After this, we will have our next NXT Breakout Tournament quarterfinals, and it's Roxanne Perez going against Kiana James. Roxanne Perez would win the match by pinfall when Roxanne would hit Pop Rocks, or better known as Code Red, which is a Sunset Flip powerbomb on James for the win. So Roxanne would advance to the semifinals where she will now be facing Lash Legend. Now that's one semifinal matchup. The other semifinal matchup is Fallon Hinley going against Nikita Lyons. I'm not sure if that happens next week. They didn't announce it, but I'm pretty sure one of those two semifinal matches is going to happen next week. After this, we will have Nathan Frazier going against Wesley. It was supposed to be Zion Quinn going against Wesley, but Zion is not medically cleared. So Nathan Frazier takes up the opportunity to go against Wesley. This match went in in a no contest when Von Wagner would get in the ring and big boot Frazier in the face. The ref would call for the bell, and then you see Wagner lift up Frazier and throw him to the outside of the ring. Von would then turn his attention to Wes, but Wes was able to get a super kick off on Von before Von big boots Wes directly in the face. Von would then lift up Wes and press him over his head and then toss Wes from inside the ring to the commentary table. Wes would hit the top of the commentary table, but the table does not break at all. He just slides off the table. So I'm pretty sure Wes is going to need some ice on his back after that situation. Uh, This is a nice... If the Cruiserweight division, the Cruiserweight tag title, not tag title, the Cruiserweight championship was still around, this is the type of situation that you would want to see. These are two guys that are high flyers, and they were able to move at quick, quickly move in the ring, and this is the type of match I would have loved to see when the Cruiserweight title was around in the uh, WWE NXT situation. But since it's not, this is still a good, fun matchup to watch before, well, basically Vaughn ruins it. 
After this, you get the main event. Santos Escobar going against Tony D'Angelo. Both of their crews were told to be uh, by both of their bosses to stay in the back. Santos would win the match by pinfall thanks to a little help from Legado Del Fantasma. When Tony and Santos were both down on the mat, Tony would go over to the corner of the ring and look for his trusty crowbar where he would uh, hide it at in his matches, but he couldn't find it. You would then hear someone call for Tony, and then you see the camera go go and move over, and you see Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Cruz there with the crowbar. They're now taunting Tony with the crowbar before they get hit from behind by Tony's guys. So now you got both of the groups uh, fighting around the ring, and this has the referee distracted, and as this happened... We see Tony go over to Santos and lift him up. And as soon as he does this, Santos would happen to hit Tony in the face while he's holding brass knuckles. So you see Santos pin Tony D'Angelo and he gets the win. We get a replay and we see that as earlier, Tony was going for the crowbar and he gets distracted and the referee is distracted by everybody else. You see Santos go into another corner and grab uh, brass knuckles that were hidden. And you see him just kiss the brass knuckles. This was basically an homage to William Regal because Regal was at NXT. And he was a guy that would, I believe, help out NXT uh, superstars and all that good stuff. And he made NXT once Dusty kind of passed him, Triple H and everybody else in the back. But people really, really uh, give Regal a lot of credit. So I think this was an homage and paying tribute to Regal since he's no longer with NXT. Because Regal also was more solidified and known on the WWE uh, company whenever he was a wrestler to hide brass knuckles and use them in his matches to win. So I think this was a legit homage. That's just my personal opinion. So so Santos would get the win over Tony D'Angelo in the main event of NXT. So that's one up on Tony for Santos Escobar. And that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. But I would recommend you watching the uh, Creed Brothers going against Viking Raiders. For some reason, both of these two teams have chemistry together. I can't explain how, but these two have chemistry from their last match that they had. It was a great match to this one. was another great match. So if you want to watch one match on this whole entire card that happened, go back and watch Viking Raiders going against the Creed Brothers. Now, on to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite will open up with the Owen Hart Foundation tournament qualifying matchup of Samoa Joe going against the Joker. Now, this was the Joker's uh, first time ever being debuted on AEW Dynamite, and the Joker would end up being Johnny Elite, or formerly known as John Morrison in the WWE. Whenever Johnny Elite came up, I didn't know who to think of. At first, I thought it was gonna—I thought it was like Johnny Gargano because Gargano had the thing Johnny Takeover in NXT. But as soon as John Morrison basically came out, I was like, oh, okay, John Morrison is here. Okay, cool. I That wasn't who I expected, but I was cool with it. And you know what? Small Joe and John, Johnny Elite, John Morrison, Johnny Impact, whatever his, the last name of them is, uh, they had a good match with each other. Those two have never gotten a ring with each other ever before, and they got in this ring. They actually pulled off a nice, good matchup between the two. Samoa Joe will win the match uh, by pinfall when he does hit Johnny with the muscle buster for the win. This was a nice, good uh, opening matchup to open up Dynamite. After the match, you will see Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and Saddam Singh uh, come down to the ring and attack Samoa Joe. Jay Lethal, as a matter of fact, would hit Samoa Joe in his taped shoulder with a steel pipe. And then you will see the best friends, which consists of Chuck Taylor 
and Trent Peretta with Rocky Romero come down to the ring with chairs to scare off Jay Lethal, Dutt, and Singh. So uh, that was the first matchup of Dynamite. And also, Joe was holding his shoulder, so I'm not sure if Joe is going to be taken out of the tournament or not, but we will have to see. After this, it was the second match of the night. It was Kanosuke Takeshita going against the AEW World Champion, Hangman Adam Page. CM Punk was on commentary for this matchup. Page would win the match by pinfall when he would hit the book shot lariat, then go for the GTS and hit it on Tanishka for the win. Punk was looking at Page when Page hit the GTS and he smiled and he said on commentary that he's in Hangman's head. So Punk sees this as a way that he's going to throw off Hangman at double or nothing. After the match, you saw Punk get away from the commentary table and he stood at the top of the entrance ramp and he just stared at Hangman and Hangman did the same to Punk. Punk would lift his arms in the air and the fans would cheer him. Then Page would get out of the ring, hold the AEW World Championship in the air, and the fans would cheer him. Now we have a cheer-off between Punk and Page. Punk would win the cheer-off and Page would just shoulder-check Punk as he starts walking to the back. Again, this is just adding more fume to the fire for their matchup at a double or nothing. After this, we will have Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland going against the Workhorsemen, who consist of J.D. Drake and Anthony Henry. Keith and Swerve would win the match by pinfall when they hit their uh, tag finish, which is a powerbomb double stomp uh, on Anthony Henry for the win. After the match, Keith Lee would get the mic, and he would announce that with this win, they are now in the top five rankings in the tag team division. Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs would come out and say that Lee and Swerve don't deserve the challenge for the tag team championships. Swerve mentions that him and Hobbs are next in line for the tag titles. Then we get Luchasaurus, Jungle Boy, and Christian coming out. And Christian basically will make the challenge that I think everybody already knew was going to happen. And I said it last week. At double or nothing, it will be for the AEW World Tag Team Championships. A triple threat match. Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy defending the titles against Swerve and Keith Lee. And also Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks. Christian will also make a challenge for next week on Dynamite. It will be a triple threat match. Jungle Boy going against Ricky Starks, going against Swerve Strickland. So that's one match I can't wait to see next week. After this, it was time for the 10 Lashes segments from MGF and Warlow. MGF came out there with Sean Spears. They started making fun of the Texas audience and lets the audience know that if Warlow retaliates during the Lashes anytime, he will not get his match and he won't be able to sign a contract with AEW. So he calls for Warlow to come out. Warlow gets this nice presentation. They open up the steel shutter door and he comes walking out in handcuffs with no shirt on. It has a nice, this was a nice appearance for them to hype up the 10 lashes. Once Warlow got in the ring, MGF took off his shirt. He was ready to whip Warlow. He gave Warlow the first lash to the back. Warlow didn't crumble. He didn't fold. Warlow just ate it, and he didn't even look like it hurt him. He really looked like it just didn't even do anything to him. MGF raises an eyebrow, and he just... You can tell that MGF's starting to get pissed off at that. So MGF hits him again for the second time. Again, Warlow shows nothing. And now MGF is starting to really get upset. So now he hits him for the third time, and he goes for the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and I mean repeatedly. And you could tell that he's getting angrier each lash. And Spears has to calm MGF down and move him off of Warlow and has to tell him to calm down. And MGF is just yelling at Warlow saying, I know it hurts. I know it hurts. 
Again, Warlow is eating them. He is not folding. He is not crumbling. He is just standing still. So, what does MGF does? He hands the belt off to Spears and reminisces to what MGF did with Warlow uh, with Cody when MGF had to whip Cody with 10 lashes to the back and he handed the belt off to Warlow for one of the lashes against Cody. Spears would get the belt. He hits Warlow within the back on the eighth lash. Warlow eats that. Again, still standing tall. And MGF gets in the face of Warlow, starts talking junk towards him, and then Spears lays into the ninth one. And now, that ninth one, you saw Warlow flinch, and he has to grit his teeth, and he gets in the face of both Spears and MGF, and he just lets them both know that they only got one more lash left. So he stands in the middle of the ring. He's ready for that 10th lash. The belt's back in MGF's hands, and what do we see? We see MGF rally up for it, but he runs over and gives M- uh, Warlow a nice good swift kick to the balls. So then Warlow falls down, and MGF starts laying in six more lashes onto Warlow's back. So then you get Sean Spears and MGF beating up on Warlow. Uh, MGF would choke Warlow with the belt. Spears would hit Warlow with the C4. And then Spears would lift up Warlow and allow MGF to hit him with the dynamite diamond ring. And that lays out Warlow and Spears covers him. MGF does the count for one, two, three to let people know that he does have a match next week against Warlow inside a steel cage with MGF being the referee. So that was a glimpse into the future, if you will. I had to look back and look at the 10 lashes from what two years ago in early 2020 when Cody had to take the 10 lashes from MJF. And let me tell you something, you can tell there's a drastic difference from this presentation to Cody's presentation, even with the lashes. When Cody got hit with the lash, Cody folded and he crumbled after the second hit. Warlow didn't. Now, I will say this. Cody got hit in four of the lashes. The first four, he got hit in the exact same spot, the top left shoulder blade, and that put... That was different from Warlow's here, where Warlow basically got hit in every different direction. And Cody made it look like, and it probably did hurt him like hell, but you can go back and you can see the welts building up on Cody's back. And every lash, it took like, it gave him some breathing room. With this one, they did it rapid quick with Warlow. Like, Warlow just ate the shots, and they just did it. With Cody's, he hit him once, give him, like, a minute to breathe off of that, and he went back for it again. So I believe that AEW and MJF and all the rest of them know that, hey, if we're going to do this lashes deal, we got to do it quick so we can get this done with, because it does give the fans a bad taste in their mouth when you see something like that, because it's kind of disturbing. But they did it well on this one, and I was, uh, it Prove that Warlow is not only physically strong, but mentally strong too, because not a lot of men can stand there and take 10 lashes to the back and eat it the way that Warlow did. So uh, props to Warlow. After this segment, we will have another Owen Hart Foundation tournament qualifying matchup in the men's division. It was Kyle O'Reilly going against Ray Phoenix. Kyle would win the match by submission when he locks Ray in an armbar slash leg hook trap submission. 
and Phoenix would tap out. And now Kyle Raleigh will advance to the semifinals of the tournament facing Samoa Joe. And I put that still in question marks because we don't know if Samoa Joe is going to be medically cleared to compete against Kyle Raleigh next week on Dynamite. Also, I did like the match between Kyle Riley and Ray Phoenix because it was a high flyer going against a tech, technical guy, uh, submission specialist, and those two were actually able to do uh, nice striking maneuvers. Phoenix was able to fly, do his high-flying stuff, but the submission guy was able to still get the win at the end of the day. After this, it's time for the in-ring segment of Jericho's group, meeting off with Kingston, Santana, Ortiz, Regal, Brian Danielson, and Moxley, and this segment, we thought we were going to get blood and guts. Just going to pump the brakes there. We do not get blood and guts. I thought that was what we were going to get. No. Uh, what we do get instead is Jericho throwing shots at everybody on the opposing side. He takes shots at Regal being a waste of talent in his heyday because of his addictions. Uh, he talks about how Santana and Ortiz have everything in AEW because of him. He calls Brian Danielson one of the best wrestlers in the world, but a nerd. But tells Brian that if he continues to hang around with Regal and Moxley, He's basically going to be doing some type of uh, drug and consuming alcohol. Uh, Regal would tell Jericho to shut up. He's been dealing with Jericho since 1997, and he can't stand Jericho whining and complaining. Jericho will cut all this crap and say he knows what they want and that they want a match. Jericho says, oh, okay, I'll give you a match. I'll give you a match in a place that we made famous, that me and Jake Hager made famous. He says, Stadium Stampede. Moxley cuts all that crap out. Says, not, not doing that crap. Not doing it. That was for a different time, different place. I want a match of anarchy, chaos. He wants basically a all-out, uh, brawl-out type matchup between both of the groups. Jericho agrees, and then he starts poking holes in the opposition team. He says that the last time Santana and Ortiz were in the ring with Moxley, Santana and, or- and Moxley had an eye for an eye match. They basically tried to go after each other's eye. Kingston and Brian Danielson, they don't like each other. He mentions how Brian called Kingston lazy and Kingston called Brian a judgmental prick. Kingston cuts all that and says, all right, that's enough. Come down to the ring so we can fight. He ain't got time for this. Jericho and his group look like they're about to, but he says, nah, and then they head to the back. Kingston wants to try to follow him. Brian Danielson gets in the middle of Kingston in the ropes, and he tells Kingston to hold on and chill out. Kingston isn't having any of it. He pushes Brian. Brian ain't no punk, and he ain't no pushover. He pushes Kingston back, so now we get both men getting in each other's face, and everybody gets in between them. You see Kingston tell Moxley that he needs to get his boy, Brian, and it seems to me that we're not going to get blood and guts. I did go on Twitter, and people were saying, hey, yo, we probably got one more week left. They probably might announce blood and guts next week. If they were going to, they should have did it this week to build up the situation for Double or Nothing because they still do got one more episode of Dynamite before Double or Nothing, but I just would have liked them to announce it this week if they were going to do it. After this, we would get an Owen Hart Foundation tournament qualifying matchup in the women's division. Britt Baker going against the Joker, and for the women's Joker, it was Mikey Ito. She's been on AEW from time to time, but she's been away from AEW since the beginning of... Well, last year, because she was in the she was in the AEW last year, the beginning of last year, but she hasn't been in AEW since then. And she's back here. Britt Baker will win the match by submission when she applies the lockjaw on Maki Ito and makes her tap out. After the match, you see Tony Storm walk out on the stage and she has a face down with Britt Baker. And we now know they will be wrestling each other in the semifinals of the women's Owen Hart Foundation tournament. Uh after this, we will get 
Tony Schiavone in the ring, and he starts talking about what's coming up next week on Dynamite and at Double or Nothing. Then you get Sarita Deed coming down to the ring and telling Tony that he's been wrestling for so many years, but he made the dumbest statement last week when he said that Serena can't beat Thunder Rosa for the AEW Women's Championship. Serena mentions how JR might be the smartest man in the building because he mentions how Serena could beat uh, Thunder Rosa in the video package that they showed last week, and she calls out Dustin Rhodes, who is Thunder Rosa's coach, and she chastised him for saying that she can't beat Thunder Rosa. Deed would then go over and tell Dustin that she remembers his career and she tells Dustin that she's had almost a similar career and talked about how she had to endure things to make women's wrestling mean something for this business. She mentioned how she got breast implants because of creepy old perverts. She shaved her head in the middle of the ring and that didn't get her anywhere. She mentions basically what she had to do basically to get into WWE and how all those acts what she did didn't get her anywhere. So now she wants Dustin to tell her to her face why she isn't going to beat Thunder Rosa. She puts a mic in his face. Dustin doesn't say anything. Serena says, you can't say anything because you're a coward. And then slaps Dustin across the face. Thunder Rosa would then start making her way down to the ring, get in the ring, and try to get at Serena Deed. But Dustin would stop her, and Thunder Rosa would accidentally throw an elbow in Dustin's face. And this will allow Serena Deed to pick up the AEW Women's Championship, hit Thunder Rosa in the face, leave out of the ring with the championship as well. So this is also just putting more fuel into the fire for their matchup at Double or Nothing. I don't think that this segment was needed at all to build up their uh, battle at all. I just think that you could have just had uh, Thunder Rosa compete in the matchup because Thunder Rosa hasn't been competing on television since she's been like, the woman's champion. She hasn't been competing and she hasn't been on television that much. The only time she's been on television is like these talking segments and even then she gets interrupted. It's still weird to me to see that with this type of framing and booking for Thunder Rosa. I don't like it. Thunder Rosa is more of a wrestler to me, so if she would have been wrestling and then Serena D would have came out and beat up on her or uh, ambushed her after her match, I would have Rather have done that than do this to build up their match. I just didn't like it. After this, it was the main event for Dynamite, the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament semifinals for the men's division. It is Adam Cole going against Jeff Hardy, who is bruised up from his battle with uh, Darby Allin last week. Adam Cole would win the match by pinfall when Jeff Hardy would miss the swanton bomb. And Adam Cole would then hit the boom, which again is a running knee to the head of Jeff Hardy for the win. After the match, Matt Hardy comes down. He checks on Jeff Hardy to make sure he's okay. And as it looks at Adam Cole's about to super kick Matt Hardy, Matt Hardy looks at Adam Cole and talks to him. And then you see the Jump Bucks run into the ring, and they look like they're about to set up to a double super kick on both of the Hardys. But the Hardys look at them, and now you have a stare down between the Bucks and the Hardys. Adam Cole would happen to attack the Hardy from behind. So now you get a beat down on the Hardys from Adam Cole and the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks will hit the BTE trigger on Matt Hardy, and this was signal for Sting and Darby Allen to come down to the ring to try to level out the playing field. They will be able to hold their own until Red Dragon comes out, and they hit their tag finish to high-low on Darby Allen. The Young Bucks would double super kick Sting, and then they will place Sting's ankle in between a steel chair. Kyle O'Reilly would jump off the second turnbuckle with a knee drop on the chair that Sting's ankle is in. 
and Dynamite will leave with basically the Undisputed Elite standing on top of all these men. Dynamite was alright. I like last week's Dynamite way better than this one, but it was an okay uh, watch. Now it's time for Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling opens up with Ultimate X qualifying matchup of Laredo Kid going against Mike Bailey. Mike Bailey would win the match by pinfall when Bailey was able to hit, well, get an inverted crucifix pin on Laredo Kid and cover him for the win. They had a nice back-and-forth matchup, hard-hitting match for both of these men. It's the X-Division, so you know what to expect. High-flying maneuvers from both guys and some striking stuff, but more high-flying maneuvers from both of them, and that's what you got out of this. After this matchup, you will get a six-woman uh, tag team matchup with Deanna Perrazzo, Savannah Evans, and the Impact Knockouts champion, Tasha Steeles, going against the team of Jordan Grace, the AAA Reina de Reina's champion, Taya Valkyrie and Mia Yim. Yim will win the match for her team by pinfall when she hits eat defeat on Savannah Evans for the win. This is just again building up for the Queen of the Mountains matchup at Slammiversary, which happens to have Tasha Steeles, Jordan Grace, Taya Valkyrie, Mia Yim, Deanna Peraza, and Chelsea Green in the matchup for the Impact Knockouts Championship. After this, we have a tag team match of Honor No More's Matt Taven and Mike Bennett with Maria Kanellis, who was on commentary for this matchup, going against the Good Brothers. The Good Brothers will win the match by pinfall when Carl Anderson was looking to hit the gun stun, or better known as the RKO, on Mike Bennett. But Maria will leave the commentary table and get into the ring. Carl would argue with Maria to leave the ring, but they she doesn't. And once he turns around to get look back at Mike, Mike runs towards him, looking to hit him with a spear, but Carl would move out of the way, and Mike would happen to hit his wife, Maria, with a spear. Mike would get up, and he would realize what he did and start looking at Maria in disbelief, and Mike would start arguing with Carl and blaming him for the spear on his wife, and Carl would blame Mike for what he did to his wife. Carl would take advantage and hit a gun stun on Mike Bennett and then cover him for the win, so the Good Brothers have another one-up on Honor No More. After this, we will have Masha Slamovich going against Shauna Reed. Masha will win the match by pinfall in quick fashion when she hits the snowplow, or better known also as the Northern Lights Bomb, for the win. After the match, Decay's music would hit and Havoc would rock down to the ring and get into the face of Masha Slamovich. So you know that next week on Impact, we're going to get Masha Slamovich going against Havoc. And this is ha- uh, Masha's first official like true test of what she can do in the knockouts division because for months and months Masha Slamovich has been going against scrubs don't mean to say it like that but it's true going against people that are not on the knockouts division people that impact pays to be there just for these one night deals and Masha beats them up quick fashion that's it so we're having to be in a full time roster member of impact and actually being a former knockouts champion she actually can put masha in some form of danger to see what masha can truly do in the knockouts division i can't wait to see that matchup next week after this we get now time for the main event of impact for the impact tag team championships the briscoe brothers going against violent by designs deaner and joe doring who has eric young in their corner the Briscoes would win the match by pinfall when they were looking to hit the Doomsday device on Diener, 
But as Mark Briscoe went to the top rope, Joe Doring would grab him by the legs to make sure he couldn't go nowhere. So then Diener tried to roll up Jay Briscoe, but Jay Briscoe would reverse it and hold down Diener in the pinning uh, attempt and pinning maneuver. Referee would count to three. Jay Briscoe would win the match, and now the Briscoes are still your Impact Tag Team Champions. You see Eric Young gets in the ring, and he starts putting the boost to both Jay Briscoe and Mark Briscoe, and then you get a three-on-two beatdown of Violence by Design beating up on the Briscoes until Josh Alexander, who Eric Young will be facing at Slammiversary for the Impact World Championship, comes down to the ring to make the save. You see uh, Josh beat up on... Diener and Joe Doring, and now it comes down to him and Eric Young. They have a nice little stare down until Diener and Joe Doring get back in the ring, and this time they attack Josh Alexander from behind. Eric Young joins in. Now it's a three-on-one beat down to the Briscoes get back in, and now it's a three-on-three. Alexander and the Briscoes would send Violence by Design packing, and now you have the Impact Tag Team and the World Champion standing tall in the middle of the ring as Violent by Design are retreating to the back. That's how Impact Wrestling ends. Impact was basically those matches and some uh, promo packages in the back. You had Ace Austin giving one from Japan as he's in Japan in the Super Juniors uh, tournament. You had Eric Young detailing his career in Impact Wrestling and also outside of Impact Wrestling. He talks a little bit about WWE. You had Sammy Callahan talking about him breaking his leg and him going after Moose. You have Matt Cardona and Chelsea Green giving a video package from where they're at in their honeymoon. I mean, Impact Wrestling, I'll say, was about a good 60-40. The 60 were the video packages. 40% were matches in this uh, episode. If you skip Impact Wrestling, you didn't really miss much. That's basically what I'm trying to get at here. But if you happen to see it, you know, it was it was aight. Now it's time for SmackDown. Just a quick note. On SmackDown, you had a backstage segment with the former LA Knight, now known as Max Dupree. And his whole character is that he's a CEO of a Maxim Male Models. And he talks about how he's looking for the next superstar to make into a model to basically walk the fashion runways and also main event WrestleMania. So LA Knight is more than less a... Manager now, no longer a wrestler. Now on to the results of SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with a Bloodline in-ring promo. You have Roman out here with the Universal WWE Championship. The Usos out here with the SmackDown Championship. Paul Heyman holding Roman's titles. Roman talks about how tonight is going to be a special night because tonight you not only get to acknowledge Roman Reigns, but also the Usos. Roman then hands the mic over to Paul to explain why tonight is going to be the biggest night in SmackDown and tag team wrestling history. Paul talks about how the greatest tag team in SmackDown history will face off against the greatest team in Raw history. And the Usos are going to be the greatest tag team in WWE history tonight. And that's a hefty thing to say because the Wild Samoans are the team that started the legacy in WWE for the Samoans. And for the Usos to be labeled as the greatest tag team in history, they have to do something that the Wild Samoans never did, and that's unify championships. So they have to beat RK-Bro to become the undisputed tag team champions. Paul does let it be known that if they don't, they won't be coming back to the island of relevancy, So meaning that they will be kicked out of the bloodline. Paul then hands Roman back the mic, and Roman yells out Usos. He then calls them the Twins. And lets them know that he has high expectations for them because he believes in them. 
and he loves them. Roman then hugs the Usos and looks into the camera with a smile on his face. So you know that Roman has something up his sleeves more or less later tonight in the main event. After this, you will have a matchup of Sami Zayn, who is still wearing the Bloodlines t-shirt because he wants to be affiliated with the Bloodline because they hold all the power, going against Shinsuke Nakamura. Nakamura would win the match by pinfall when Nakamura pulled the Sami Zayn because when Sami and Nakamura were on the outside of the ring, Nakamura threw Sami into the timekeeper's area as the referee was making the count. Nakamura was able to get in the ring by the count of five, and Sami was able to beat the count at the count of nine. But as soon as Sami got in the middle of the ring, Nakamura would hit him with a Kinshasa, and Sami would eat defeat by Nakamura when he pinned him. So Nakamura pulled a Sami Zayn, thought of something quickly, and basically beat Sami by his own rule book. So Nakamura is still on the path. It looks like he's going to go against the bloodline somewhere down the line because when Nakamura was making his way down to the ring, he had a little face-off with Roman, and Roman kind of just smiled and walked away from Nakamura. So that tells you that they're still playing into the storyline of Nakamura trying to get his get back on the bloodline. How he's going to do it, I don't know. But just be known, he does not do it tonight. After this, we have a happy talk in-ring segment. You have Corbin out here with a stern face, and he says that this is the happiest he's ever been. He says that he took out the mouth breather, Mad Cat Moss, and has a souvenir for it, and he points at the Andre the Giant trophy. Corbin then plays back the video of what he did to Moss, basically putting the chair between Moss's throat and slamming the Andre trophy on the chair's leg, basically snapping the chair on his throat multiple times on the Titantron. Corbin talks about how Moss should have been appreciative of what he had instead of trying to better himself. He should have tried to be comfortable living in Corbin's shadow instead of trying to be better than Corbin. Corbin is then offended that Moss in the past called him the big bad, well, big bald wolf, and says that he might be the big bald wolf because he put Moss in the ambulance. Corbin would leave the ring pick up the Andre trophy and toss it into the steel steps repeatedly and the trophy would break and smash into a lot of pieces. Corbin would pick up the Andre the Giant actual piece of the trophy and hold it up in the middle of the ring. So that tells you that this storyline between Corbin and Moss is nowhere finished. After this, we had Gunther with Ludwig Kaiser in his corner going against Drew Gulak. Gunther would win the match by pinfall when he hit Gulak with the powerbomb for the win. After the match, Gunther applied the Boston Crab, which is basically a Walls of Jericho, on Gulak and held it until Ricochet ran down to the ring. And Gunther just let go of the hold and he just walked out of the ring. He didn't hurry out of the ring. He didn't run out of the ring. No, he just took a nice stroll, got out of the ring, and he just stood there. And Ricochet was making sure Drew was all right. So I tell you that we're going to get. Gunther going against Ricochet, and it's going to be more or less for the Intercontinental title. I'm happy for this because, again, Ricochet I put on uh, last year's end of the uh, Wrestling Highlights of the Week review, and I said that Ricochet is going to have a good 2022. So far, he's the Intercontinental Champion, and right now we're going to get a meaningful storyline out of him going against Gunther because Gunther, better known as Walter on Independence and everywhere else, great wrestler. He hits you hard. He makes the match. Uh, believable, makes people feel sympathy for his opponents because once he hits you with those chops and you hear those sound effects, you wonder how on God's green is somebody really allowed to just deal with those chops. So him chopping Ricochet out of midair 
or on the ground and making Ricochet basically feel it and Ricochet's facial expressions, letting the fans know that he's in pain. I can tell this is going to be a good one. After this, we get Raquel Rodriguez going against Shotzi. This match come about because Shotzi blames Raquel for shoving her out of the way last week, and Shotzi wasn't able to get the opportunity to go against Ronda Rousey in their open challenge for the SmackDown with Championship last week, and Raquel did. Raquel will lose the match against Ronda, and Shotzi basically says, you have all the talent and all the ability, all the muscle in the world, but you don't know how to use it, basically calling her a big waste of talent, so that's the reason how this match comes about. Raquel would win the match by pinfall, and Raquel would hit the Chicona bomb on Shotzi for the win. I just have one question, though. My, I'm not sure if Fox or WWE did this, but every time you heard Michael Cole or Pat McAfee about to say Jacona Bomb, they always kind of like muted it out. So I'm not sure if they're trying to nix that name as her finish or they found something wrong with Jacona. I don't know. I just think that they're probably going to uh, remodel the name for the finish, but you know what it is. It's basically a one-handed powerbomb. After this, you had Xavier Woods going against Butch. Butch was down here by himself. It was a legit one-on-one, nobody-around matchup. Woods would win the match by pitfall when he would lock in Butch in the backwoods, or uh, people know it as an inside cradle pin for the win. After the match, Butch would leave the ring in a huff and go into the crowd as Woods would walk up the ramp and embrace with the people cheering for him. He would then feel the presence of Ridge Holland and Sheamus walking up behind him, and Woods turns around. He looks at both of the men, and he looks like he's ready to go. But Butch would jump Woods from out of nowhere and start beating up on him, and then you see Ridge and Sheamus hold off, well, hold Butch off of Woods, and that's how it ends there. But we do get an announcement from Woods in the backstage area. He does announce that next week it will be Butch, Sheamus, and Ridge going against himself. Kofi and her mystery opponent of his choosing. So Xavier has somebody to take Biggie's place because Biggie's out with a neck injury. Again, prayers up to you, Biggie. I hope you are doing well and fine. After this, it's time for the main event, the tag team unification matchup. The Raw Tag Team Champions, RK Bro, going against the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, the Usos. And Paul Heyman would be on commentary for this matchup. The Usos would win the match by pinfall thanks to an assist from Paul Heyman, and the Tribal Chief himself, Roman Reigns. When both Jay Uso and Riddle were on the top turnbuckle, and Riddle had ready, uh, Jay ready to deliver an RKO off the top turnbuckle, Paul would get the referee's uh, attention, and this would allow Roman to get on the ring apron and hold Jay's leg. You see Jay then push Riddle off the top turnbuckle and send him crashing onto the mat. This would allow Jay to jump off and hit a Uso splash on Riddle, cover him for the pin, so now the Usos are your unified tag team champions. After the match, you saw the bloodline start doing work on RK-Bro. Roman start beating up on Riddle as the Usos beat up on Randy. Roman would beat up on Riddle on the outside of the ring, and the Usos would get the steel steps and repeatedly hit Randy in his ribs over and over with steel steps. Roman would apply the guillotine choke, make Riddle become unconscious, then go over clear off the commentary table, put Riddle on the commentary table, and then Jay Uso will go to the top turnbuckle, jump off, and hit a big body splash on Riddle, destroying the commentary table. You would then see 
Roman walk over to Randy, apply the guillotine choke on him, and now you got referees, backstage officials all around ringside trying to control the bloodline. Roman telling them to back away from him before he smashes all of them. Then you get at the end of the night on SmackDown, you get the bloodline in the middle of the ring holding all the championship gold. So this has officially been the night that the bloodline basically controls WWE. Now on to AEW Rampage. There's a couple of announcements on there too. The Hardys will be facing the Young Bucks at Double or Nothing. And also on next episode of Dynamite this upcoming Wednesday, FTR will be facing Trent Peretta and Rocky Romero, better known as Rapungi Vice, for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. Now on to the results of Rampage. First match of the night was a six-man tag matchup or trios matchup. Malachi Black, Brody King, and Buddy Matthews of House of Black defeating Fuego Del Sol. Evil Uno and Dark Orders number 10. When Brody would hit the Gonzo Bomb on Evil Uno, which is basically a power bomb, uh, power driver type of combo for the win. After the match, Death Triangle would come out on the entrance stage, and you would see a tombstone in the middle of them. And you would see as they lift up a veil, it says the House of Black's name on it, and it has a double or nothing chip on it. So the match is official at Double or Nothing. It will be the House of Black going against the Death Triangle. And hopefully that ends their rivalry right there. After this, you will get Sean Spears going against Big Damiel, formerly known as Killian Dame in WWE. Uh, Sean Spears would win the match when he hits the C4, better known as Death Valley Driver, on Big Damo, cover him for the win. After the match, Spears would get on the microphone. Spears talked about how he laid out Warlow on Dynamite and how next week Warlow will be locked into a steel cage with him and he plans on beating him inside the steel cage. After this, we had the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament Qualifier Quarterfinals matchup in the women's division. Chris Statlander going against Red Velvet and Chris Statlander would beat Red Velvet by pinfall when Chris Statlander was looking to hit the big bang attack, but Velvet turned that into a pinning maneuver and then you see Chris Statlander reverse out of that pinning maneuver and turn it into her own pinning maneuver and pin and beat Red Velvet. So Chris Statlander has advanced and she will be going against Ruby Soho. You see Kiara Hogan and Jay Cargo attack Chris Statlander after the matchup. You see Ruby leave the commentary table because she was on commentary for this matchup, run down to the ring and try to save Chris Statlander but the numbers were too much. When Jay Cargill, Red Velvet, and Kiara Hogan beat up on both Statlander and Soho. Anna Jay would come down to the ring, grab Smart Mark Sterling's crutch, and basically send Jay Cargill and her baddies away. And Jay Cargill, in the later portions of Rampage, she would make a challenge out to Anna Jay at Double or Nothing to go against her for the uh, TBS championship. So that match has been made official. After this, we have a minute of the year in-ring promo. You had Scorpio Sky, Dan Lamberg, and Ethan Page in the middle of the ring. Scorpio calls uh, Sammy out because he wants the TNT Championship back. We go to backstage footage of Sammy in a parking lot with the TNT title. He puts the title on the ground. He says that he wants a matchup, the match that he was promised of him and Ty Conti going against a member of America Top Team and Paige Van Zant. Dan Lambert tells him no, so you see Sammy get a sledgehammer from Ty Conti, and he starts destroying the TNT title. He says a man here is also wanting to uh, help out destroy this belt too, and he hands over to 
hands over the sledgehammer to Kazarian. Kazarian talks about how he should be TNT champion, but uh, Scorpio's guy got help from Ethan Page and Dan Lambert, and he's going to make Scorpio pay for this. So the TNT title has been destroyed, but remember, they do have a secondary title. Well, another championship, because remember, uh, Sammy did walk around with two titles, and when Sammy beat Scorpio, he only beat him for one of the belts. Dan Lambert had the other, so I see Scorpio's guy basically want to walk around with the other TNT championships. So now we're back to only one TNT championship. Now it's time for the main event. Brian Danson and John Moxley of the Blackpool Combat Club going against the team of Dante Martin and Matt Seidel. Moxley and Danielson would win the match when Moxley would hit the paradigm shift on Dante for the win. This was a good match between both of these teams. Dante Martin, again, they're trying. AEW's putting a whole lot of eggs in the Dante Martin basket, showing how tough he is, showing how resilient he is, and showing that he actually could go against some of the bigger names in AEW. So that tells me that they see a bright future with Dante Martin down the line. After the matchup, you will see the Jericho Appreciation Society attack Moxley and Danielson, and then you see uh, Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz to basically save Moxley and Danielson and make it a 5-on-5 situation. So Rampage ends in a 5-on-5 beatdown, and that's AEW Rampage for you. Now, I want to talk about the Naomi and Sasha Banks situation, but let me start off with Monday Night Raw. I told you guys on Raw that they opened it up. They told you that we were supposed to have a six-woman challenge. Sasha Banks and Naomi left the show, so that's why you only got the... uh, Oscar going against the Becky situation. During Monday Night Raw, they would um, release a WWE statement, and they usually don't do this, but they did. And the statement went as follows It says, When Sasha Banks and Naomi arrived at the arena this afternoon, they were informed of their participation in the main event of tonight's Monday Night Raw. During the broadcast, they walked into the WWE head of talent relations, John Laurinaitis' office with their suitcases in hand, placed their tag team championship belts on his desk and walked out. They claimed they weren't respected enough as tag team champions, and even though they had eight hours to rehearse and construct their match, they claimed they were uncomfortable in the ring with two of their opponents, even though they had matches with those individuals in the past with no consequence. Monday Night Raw is a scripted live TV show whose characters are expected to perform the requirements of their contract. We regret we were unable to deliver as advertised tonight's main event. That was Monday. Sean Ross Sapp, who is a prominent uh, guy who writes about the backstage inner workings of wrestling, of the major companies of WWE or AEW or even Impact, just he gets like the backstage news type deals and he delivers it to uh, the fans. He talked about Friday how. Well, he tweeted out Friday that he talked to somebody in WWE officials and asked him is. Uh, Sasha Banks and Naomi suspended indefinitely or whatever they may have you. And he tweeted out that they say, watch SmackDown. So SmackDown rolls around. And before the main event of SmackDown, Michael Cole would get on the commentary and he would tell the fans at home that, well, here's what Michael Cole basically said. He said that they let us all down. The WWE Women's Tag Team Champions walked out. He then said their actions disappointed millions of WWE fans and their fellow superstars. He then said that Banks and Naomi were suspended indefinitely and we will have a future tournament to crown new women's tag team champions. So 
it seems to me that Naomi and Sasha Banks are suspended from WWE indefinitely. Now, I do want to make notice that I don't blame Corey Graves. I don't blame Michael Cole because they are only doing their jobs. As a matter of fact, Michael Cole, every time Sasha Banks or Naomi were on commentary, and even when Bianca Belair was there on SmackDown, he always would reference the history that Sasha and Bianca made at WrestleMania last year by being the first two black females to main event WrestleMania, and they're the first two black females to, I already said, main event for WrestleMania and also do it for the uh, SmackDown Women's Championship. They did that. He talked about how whenever Naomi was on commentary when Sasha had one of her matches on SmackDown, how uh, her and Sasha are the first ever black female tag team champions, female tag team champions in WWE history. So Michael Cole, he knows what to say, but he doesn't, he's only following what is told in his earpiece. He has a job to do. He, I can't get mad at him. I can't get mad at Corey Graves on Monday Night Raw for saying that, um, they, whatever he said about Sasha Banks and Naomi. Could he have not said it? Yes, but he has a family to feed. He has his own life. He can't, he can't just like throw away his career off of friendship and everything else. Hopefully, I hope Sasha and Naomi do understand the position that Michael Cole and Corey Graves were in in those situations. But me as a fan, I can understand that too because a whole lot of people wouldn't have done what they say they would do. They would have said, oh, I wouldn't have done that. A whole lot of you guys wouldn't have done that. A whole lot of guys would have done exactly what Michael Cole and Corey Graves did. Were did. If not, you guys would have freestyled it on television. You guys would have just dealt with ramification but you guys would have did it in a way that you guys would have found it acceptable. That's the whole point. You guys still would have did what Vince McMahon wanted you to do, but you would have freestyled it in a way. Nevertheless, um, here's something that I did find interesting. Um, a guy that used to work in WWE, a former writer, creative writer, uh, Kaz, who's friends with the New Days, with the New Day predominantly, because that's how I know him. And he also is friends with uh, a comedian, Andrew Schultz. He was on the fragrant podcast years ago well he used to be on the flagrant podcast but he has a whole lot of other podcasts a whole lot of businesses situations anyway he suggested that on the ringers masked man show podcast that the contracts of both naomi and sasha banks might be set to expire within the next two months he revealed that he heard that the contracts of both performers were up and each have been in negotiations to renew when his co-host interjected with surprise asking both of them. Kaz replied, both of them, yeah. Naomi is a star in her own right. It should be noted she's become virally sensational following her electrifying showing at the 2020 Royal Rumble. But it is a fact that Sasha Banks has experienced more success in singles division. She has headlined WrestleMania and is a member of the four horsewomen around which the women's revolution was built around which is true the women's revolution was built around the four horsewomen and i think out of popularity i think sasha banks was above everybody in popularity if i had to do popularity i would say sasha banks bailey charlotte and becky lynch when they all four of them came in but now it's probably i still say sasha banks at the top of the top of the list i will say becky lynch Charlotte's on the bottom and Bailey's number three, in my personal opinion. That's just me. But let's take that into consideration. 
if both of their contracts were already up or they're coming to be up, remember the contract conversation I just had on last week's episodes and how I said that people are now getting the ability to say, yo, you know what? I don't want to be here no more. If they don't like it no more. I told you guys how last, I told you guys last week how years ago before AEW came around and I do credit AEW for a lot of this, uh, build up of self-esteem, this whole wrestlers having their backing, having their voice and finding their voice to say, you know what? I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here no more. There is other opportunities for me outside of this company. I do credit AEW with that because you want to know why. As I said last week, before AEW, there was no other competition. You only had like Impact Wrestling and like Ring of Honor, but let's be honest, WWE is still to this day, the number one WWE, well, wrestling company is known worldwide because of legacy and all that type of stuff. But AEW has put some pressure onto WWE's neck that WWE can't technically just like let go of certain stars, how they would have been able to let go years ago whenever they didn't want them anymore. And this might be the case with Banks and Naomi. Banks and Naomi is somebody that WWE wants, but Banks and Naomi might be like, mm, I don't want to be here no more. We're If I can't get what I want out of you, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I'm done. Whatever the case may be. Now, let's play devil's advocate here before I get into my actual feelings about it. Let's say that the rumors are true, because I don't know if this whole thing is true or not. I'm just going off of what's been reported before I get into my personal, like, legitimate Opinions on it, not no cookie dough, not no PC stuff. I'm gonna give you my legit feelings. Let's play devil's advocate. If they were to do what was planned out, and what was planned out from everybody's uh what was been said is that Sasha Banks was going to lose the matchup, and then I first at one report said that she was gonna take the pin from Naomi because Naomi was scheduled to win the matchup, and Naomi was going to go in, to go against Bianca Belair. And the Sasha Banks would have somehow found a way to go against Ronda Rousey at Hell in a Cell. Both the ladies would have lost, and they basically just would have held on to the women's tag team championships, and they wouldn't be defending them championships for the next couple months. Let's say they went along with those plans, they did those, whatever the case may be, what have you, they did it. What next? They are doing exactly what every other tag team that held those tag team titles did before. They would have been doing absolutely nothing. And just last week on the SmackDown, after uh, they beat Shayna and Natalia, I said that I was happy that they kept onto those titles. And I hoped that they were able to do something with those championships because everybody else before them have been able to do nothing. And it's not because of the competitors themselves. It's because creative has always not done something with those tag team titles. Those tag team titles are afterthought. There are throwaway titles. And... Naomi and Sasha, with the popularity and the credibility that they have with the fans, with the audience that they built up, Naomi for a decade, Sasha Banks since she got into WWE actually being, like, premiered on the NXT brand on the WWE Network in 20, what, that was 2014, then getting up to the main roster on 20. 15 and continues the momentum that she's been having for these what eight years now she's been able to cultivate her fan base and then going outside of wwe she's in the wwe uh not wwe she's in um the star wars mandalorian series i haven't watched it but i can track people's um 
thing on Twitter. I told you, I look at people and people mention how Sasha Banks is Hollywood star written all over. Just like Roman, Sasha has that style of Hollywood star quality written all, all over her. And how Hollywood would want to grab somebody like Sasha off rip. So I see Sasha doing something in Hollywood. So with them holding those tag team championships, they were able to do something. They were able to actually make a difference. They could have been the ones to elevate those tag titles and actually make them mean something. So when they lose it, the people that actually win it from them, they actually could do something with those tag belts and actually, you know what, build off the credibility that Sasha and Naomi had already established for those belts. I said that last week on SmackDown after... I said that on last week's episode, on the Wrestling Holidays of the Week. I said it last week. Now, hearing this and seeing this, if they would have went on and did exactly what WWE Creative would have done, that would leave them in the exact same position that they're in now. Being unfulfilled, being unhappy, not... They're, they're not happy because they're not doing nothing with those tag team titles. They actually want to do so with them, and they're not doing nothing. So if they just would have did that, then guess what? They would have just been left right in crapville just like they are now. Well, they were. I'm not going to say are now because now they got their career and their own destiny at this own point. Now let's go with where we're at now. They're not in WWE right now. They're suspended indefinitely. And I personally feel that um, WWE is going to have Sasha and Naomi in either they're going to talk to them in the company office, they're going to talk to them on the phone, or they're going to somehow find a way because now I find that they're probably going to have an easier talk with Naomi because Jimmy just won the tag team uni- uh, championships and the unification thing, but Jimmy Uso more or less can separate himself from his wife because he probably wants his wife to be happy. And if she ain't happy being there, I guarantee he's not going to tell her to be there. He's going to tell her to follow her uh, instincts, follow her gut. And that's what any great partner would tell their partner, follow their gut. And I think that Jimmy's going to tell Naomi that because you know what? No matter what, Jimmy Uso re- loves and respects his wife. That's what's going to happen. And I, uh, I have a feeling that's going to happen. You could tell whenever you see them interact with each other, you could tell the love and see the love that they have for each other, whether it's on screen or off screen. You could tell that they actually do love each other, and you could tell that. So I see Jimmy going to say, you know what? She got to follow her own thing. You guys got to deal with that with her. That's all on you guys with that off top. It's going to be difficult with Sasha Banks because Sasha talked about it on Stone Cold's podcast that, yo, that she is out of the phase of, Hey, I'm happy to be here shaking hands and all that type of stuff. Nah, she knows her worth. And if she doesn't feel like she's being valued, she's ready to dip. There is something outside of this. She's already said that on the Austin podcast. So Sasha already has that mentality already in her head. Like, yo, if I ain't feeling it, I ain't feeling it. I'm out of here. So I don't blame either ladies for dipping out if that is true. They really just like dipped out and say, you know what? This ain't going to work for me. We done. Now, on to my personal feelings. I rock with what they did, personally. I rock with exactly what they did. I stand with Sasha and Naomi. I do. I feel that with a job of that situation and with all the horror stories that you heard about WWE constantly from people inside that business over and over and over again about them not feeling respected, them not feeling this and not feeling that, 
what else can you do? Like, legitimately, what else can you do instead of just leaving there? I tweeted Monday, Naomi and Sasha leaving tonight was the best thing for them. That's all. So, in retrospect, that's all you could do. There's a lot of people in jobs right now that they're not happy being there. They just be there for a check. Guess what? Sasha and Naomi, they have money in their bank accounts more than likely. I guarantee you Naomi has some resources outside of WWE that she can easily tap into. Sasha, she has Hollywood. She could tap into. Her cousin is Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg will put her in certain things. Guarantee that. They could tap into that. So they can leave. Let's not be stupid about it. They can literally leave the WWE and say, you know what, I'm good. Because they're not happy. And that's what life is about. Life is nothing but a big old hamster wheel. You're on this wheel constantly going and going. And once you get off, you wonder what you're going to do next before you jump back on the wheel. Now, for certain people, it's like that. And certain people, they jump out of their cage and they just roam around the free world until they either get stomped out or whatever the case may be with a hamster. I'm just letting you know, they roam out of the cage with certain hamsters. Certain hamsters get back on the wheel. Certain hamsters, they drink their water, they look around, and then they get out of the cage, and they just do whatever they do. They start roaming. And I see that in Sasha and Naomi's situation, that they're going to be roaming around. letting They're going to see how the landscape works. They're going to see what talent in WWE supports them, what talent has been staying quiet, what talent supports them every other everywhere else, what talent isn't supporting them, what talent is making fun of them, what talent is backing them up. They're surveilling the landscape, and that's what you're supposed to do, especially when you got an industry by the cojones the way that Sasha and Naomi do. Because people want to know, where are they going? Is this real? Is this not real? The only people that knows this stuff is WWE, Naomi, and Sasha. WWE has already folded their cards in front of the whole world and having said that they're suspended indefinitely and letting out that kind of statement. So they already show their cards. Naomi and Sasha, they haven't shown their cards yet. They haven't made a statement. They haven't said anything. They haven't said anything out here. People have only been dropping hints. And people have been saying, well, I'm friends with them and here and there. This is what's been going down. But until you hear something from the Sasha Banks Twitter account or the Naomi Twitter account or their Instagram or whatever the case may be, you have heard absolutely nothing. So they have keeping their cards to the chest. And I'm pretty sure Sasha and Naomi have been talking on the phone with each other about what their options should do, what their options can be. So I'm happy that they actually did leave if they're not happy being there. That's one. Two, for people that criticize them, look at yourselves and ask yourself a question. If you were in their situation and you were giving everything you can to an industry that love that you love, but somehow they don't, that industry doesn't loving you back at that moment. Are you going to still be there? Certain people are going to say yes. Certain people are going to say no. I'm telling you right now, AEW has put the foot of foot in fear of God back into WWE and just say, you know what? If you guys ain't happy, hey, come over here and sign us because we've been signing a whole lot of your talent. Come over here. We'll do something with you guys. Hey, you'll, you'll at least get some time on our television screening. You'll be able to work the indies, you'll be getting paid by me handsomely and well. That's the other alternative. You can literally go to AEW and make money on the independence. You only you get to work lesser dates. 
You get to work with AEW, get money from them. You get to help build up a company as well. You get to establish yourself with their fan base, the hardcore die, hard, hardcore people. And I have a feeling that if they went to the AEW, the fan bases are going to love Sasha Banks and they're going to love Naomi. Because Sasha Banks is a wrestler at the end of the day. She is a character, but she loves wrestling at the end of the day. Naomi, she brings something different. She is a she brings something way different than any other wrestler, literally, on this women roster of WWE or AEW. She is colorful. She's uh always cheery. She can switch on and off with the attitude whenever you give her the opportunity to do that. WWE hasn't really let Naomi off the leash with being a bad guy persona yet. Once you do that, I guarantee you we're going to tap into a whole different market with Naomi. Guarantee you. But every time we see Naomi, she gets the fans excited. She gets them energized. She's athletic as heck. She is good. So, she's able to go to AEW. So is Sasha, but that's all if they want to. I just don't like the fact that people are saying they should have did what the contract told them to do. They're getting paid handsomely and all this type of stuff. No, dude. No, and I don't like that people were criticizing them for leaving WWE in the way that they did. You guys got to remember. <laughs> Matter of fact, let me hit you guys with this. Because I did, because I looked this up. You guys remember when CM Punk left Raw? It wasn't heard about. On, it wasn't deemed on television. They didn't do this. This is in 2014. This is like a day after Raw happened. The news reports of internet popping off everywhere that John, that CM Punk got into a big old yelling matchup with Vince McMahon and Triple H, and he left Cleveland. The show that he was supposed to be at for that Monday Night Raw, he left there. He wasn't coming back. He had to take a break. So, Punk left, and then guess what happens? The WWE does not pay attention to it for months. For months, they would get fans chanting CM Punk, CM Punk. Yes, you have Triple H or Stephanie kind of teetering the line on the CM Punk topic, but they never really fully said anything. The person that finally said something on live television was Paul Heyman in March. WWE literally waited two months before they finally said anything, and the first person they had to say anything really, really Dead on point with that topic was Paul Heyman. And that was in 2014. Rewind it back more. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, this is the only time I can say WWE has officially announced anything on live television. Was whenever Stone Cold Steve Austin left WWE that Monday Night Raw. In, I believe, like a June episode. Because he was supposed to go against Brock Lesnar in a King of the Ring qualifying matchup. Rather, qualifying or semi-final matchup. Either who. Austin didn't want to do it. He left. He talked about how he didn't he didn't like the character. He didn't like how this uh his character was going on in the future. Yada yada yada. You get the drift. Stone Cold was a stone coding back in 2002 to Stone Cold. He wasn't acting like the uh rattlesnake, the beer drinking butt kicker that Stone Cold is that everybody know. So he took his ball, quote unquote, and went home. Vince McMahon comes out on Monday Night Raw. He addresses the WWE fans saying that Austin took his ball and went home. And he even congratulated 
Austin say, you know what? I want to thank Austin for helping build up this business and building up this company. I truly thank you. He might be needing some time to himself. And Vince talked about how this isn't the first time that Austin went home, but the owner of the company came out on your came out on his own television and said, hey, I thank Austin. If you don't believe me, you can go back on YouTube right now. You can find it. I found it early this week because this is the because when I heard about the Naomi Sasha situation, it brought me back to that. I was young, but boy, did it bring me back to it. And people on Twitter would was lighting it up, and everybody was reminiscing about the Austin leave out. Point being, Vince, the owner. I don't care who you are. The owner comes out and says, "I want to thank him for." what he has contributed to this company and all this type of stuff. And if this is the last time, Austin, I thank you. And then he gets interrupted by The Rock. Rock does this whole shtick of saying, hey, if you don't want to be here, you can get the F out. And people might say that was Vince McMahon feeding Rock lines. But you mean to tell me that Rock couldn't have put the kibosh to that if he didn't want to put a kibosh to it? Rock was too much of a big star not to put the kibosh to it if he didn't want it to. I believe that The Rock felt a certain type of way about Austin leaving and that that blew Rock's uh big surprise because Rock in 2002 talked about how he was supposed to be back in July but he came back as soon as he heard Austin like took his ball and went home so he wasn't going to let the WWE fans down so you had the owner of the WWE in 2002 congratulate and well give well wishes off to Stone Cold in 2002 2014, you had Triple H and Stephanie teeter-tottering with the fans from time to time for those two months until Paul Heyman really came out and said something in 2014. No Vince McMahon. And then in 2022, first thing on Monday Night Raw, you had Corey Graves announce that Sasha Banks and Naomi left the building and were unprofessional. And we all know those are Vince McMahon's lines. Those were not Corey Graves' lines. We all know that's Vince McMahon feeding lines to Corey Graves. And then you have Vince McMahon lines being sent over to SmackDown, and Michael Cole reads those exact same lines. You mean to tell me that that's not a coincidence to you? There are females, black females to be more exact, to leave your company because they weren't happy. Why did you not give that exact same attitude to Austin? Why did you not give that exact same attitude to Punk? Why did you not give that exact same attitude to Tony Storm when she left in the middle of a tour of WWE where she just said, you know what, I'm done, I'm fizzled out, I can't do this. And you didn't, WWE didn't do that with Tony Storm. They didn't do that with her. They didn't do that when Neville, or better known as Pac in AEW, he left. WWE. Shoot, they didn't even do that with Mustafa Ali. Whenever he was on Twitter lighting it up and saying, you know what, I ain't rocking with WWE right now. I asked my release, they ain't letting me go. I'll see you guys in 2024 or 25, whatever his contract was up. You guys didn't even do that. But now when Ali come, comes back, you guys are now trying to just like hammer the Miz, like bonging. Ali over the head with Ayo. Didn't you say you wanted to quit? Now you back here. You now you're gonna make I'ma beat you and make you wish that you got your walking papers. 
again, that's Ali's punishment for putting it out on Twitter and everything else. That's what Ali's punishment is. But you're basically shaming Sasha Banks and Naomi by calling them unprofessional. You don't, I don't, mm, screw this, screw being PC. You don't do that to a black person ever. You call them unprofessional. You know good and damn well Sasha Banks and Naomi are not unprofessional. What is wrong with you, bruv? Sasha Banks and Naomi, they carry the WWE banner. Especially Sasha, especially Naomi. Sasha was being around everywhere with those tag team titles. Everywhere with those tag team titles. When she had to go to a baseball game and throw out the pitch, she was carrying the tag team titles. When she had to do a show on YouTube, she was carrying the tag team titles. Media events carrying the tag team titles. She was carrying them mugs more. Those, those tag team titles were getting the most sunlight I've ever seen. Those tag team titles get sunlight out of every other tag team that's held those belts. Sasha Banks was making sure you're going to see these belts everywhere I go. Period. Because she wants to make those titles actually worth a damn. So does Naomi, but Naomi isn't getting those type of like media appearances as Sasha Banks's, but I guarantee if she was, I guarantee Naomi would do the exact same thing that Sasha did. So I'm not putting none of that on Naomi. Let's make that perfectly clear. But you don't ever call a black person unprofessional. Black people, we already got a stigma already on us that we are already looked at as a second or bottom than other races. Let's make that perfectly clear. And for you to label a black person unprofessional, what the hell is wrong with you? Do better. Seriously, do better. And you do that with black women. Black women already are holding on to a lot of things. You call them unprofessional? You didn't do that with CM Punk. You didn't do that with Tony Storm. You didn't do that. Well, you did it with Austin. Well, you fed lines to people, and this was a <clears throat> witch hunt on Austin's name. So I can say you did that with Austin, but <clears throat> the others. You did not do that with. You didn't do that with Pac, Tony Storm, Punk. And there's probably a litany of other ones that just walked out. But you didn't do that on national television. National TV. And you had a statement. The statement is still up there on your website right now. WWE, do better. I don't give a damn who's in your offices right now. Do better, man. Literally, do better. I hope when you guys do contact Mercedes and Trinity, those are the real names of Sasha Banks and Naomi, you talk to them and you apologize for putting that, for saying unprofessional. You do that, bro. You got to, because if you don't, if you don't, you're giving people free reign to just harass and just constantly bombard them and call them unprofessional, saying, well, we hear that you have an unprofessional uh, label to you. What? No, black people, we already got the stigma of being this and that. We're being lazy. We're uh, always on color people time, a.k.a. being late and showing up what we want. We this and that. We get that stigma from other people, and we got to always combat this type of stuff. And just now add an unprofessional to it is another one that you guys are doing to us. Don't do that. Do not do that. They left on their own accord because they were not happy with what creative was going to do with them. 
So you guys need to figure that out how y'all going to do that and make it right to Mercedes and Trinity. Seriously, make it right to them. Do better, WWE. Do better, man. That's not cool and that's not fair. So Naomi, Trinity, Sasha, Mercedes, I hope if you happen to listen to this, I want to say I just I want to applaud you for leaving WWE the way that you guys did. You guys weren't happy. You guys weren't feeling it. I applaud you for doing that because a lot of people would have done the exact same thing. Matter of fact, no, they wouldn't. They would have stuck it out. Only a certain, certain amount of people would have just left their jobs the way that you guys did because you guys weren't happy. Or in the case of Cass saying that you guys' contract was already up, you guys already fulfilled your obligations. Or if not, you guys are just willing to power in your hands. Either way, the power is in both of your hands with this. You guys can do whatever you want. I just want to say I stand with you. I do not uh, wish any negativity on you guys. I hope you guys get nothing but good things in your future because you guys are dealing with a whole lot of people like slandering you guys online. Just know that you guys do have a fan base and a following online. I am one of them. I do hope that you guys uh, succeed in whatever you guys do in your future if you guys happen to move away from the WWE. Okay? Now, with that all being said, I hope you guys have a great Saturday. I hope you guys enjoy yourself. I hope everybody, please be safe on these roads. And uh, please keep hydrated because... I'm not sure for everybody else, but in the South right now, we are dealing with a lot of heat. So uh, please just keep yourself hydrated and just taking a lot of uh, water or fluids. Now, with that being said, I hope you guys tune into my Sunday episode tomorrow. I talk about the shooting incidents that happened last week, and I talk about a plethora of other things. But um, if you do, that's cool. If you don't, hey, you guys will be hearing again from me next Saturday on Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And with that all being said... I love you all. I thank you all. We hope you guys have a great and wonderful Saturday. This is a goodbye. This is a here till you hear from this sweet sounding voice again. This has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I and I am him. I love you all. And Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.